0: of BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. Just how vulnerable is BC's economy to, I guess, the predilections of our own real estate industry? It's going to be an interesting conversation that we have in just a few moments with Ken Peacock. He's the chief economist and the executive vice president at the Business Council of British Columbia. The BCBC has just released its new outlook for the growth projections of the economy. He has a lot to say with regards to what we're experiencing right now, whether it's trade uncertainty that has been, uh, I, I say, bitten off just a little bit with the signing of the new USMCA, as well as just, say, interest rates. It's going to be an interesting discussion with him. I also want to mention that BIV's Business Excellence Series, it hits the Vancouver Club November 8th. Our expert panel is going to talk spe- specifics on strategic wealth management at each stage and each level. And it's aiming to arm you with a game plan to build personal prosperity. So go to BIV.com slash events for more details. A little later on today, retail insiders, Craig Patterson, he joins the show to give us updates on everything from Decium's CEO. I don't know if you've been following a lot of the, I guess, drama going on with the founder of the Canadian beauty supply company, Brandon Truax, but Craig's got some updates there. We're also going to see whether Chip Wilson might potentially make a move back into Lululemon's boardroom. But here is Ken Peacock from the Business Council next. from trade certainty to rising interest rates. Lots of factors abound that will be influencing the BC economy in the coming years and months, of course. Joining us today to talk all about it is Ken Peacock, Chief Economist and Executive Vice President of the Business Council of British Columbia. Ken, great to have you back on the show.
1: Thanks for having me back. So Business
0: Council, you guys just came out with your latest economic outlook and you guys are actually. Bumping up your growth forecast for real GDP. Tell us a little bit about maybe how some um, big news going on with regards to uh, LNG Canada is influencing what you guys are
1: pursuing here. Sure, sure. That's probably the the biggest story. Um, and and just to be clear, we're bumping up our 2019 forecast because there won't be too much activity. We're almost through 2018, so looking to next year, uh, we essentially thought that sort of the momentum that we see in the economy will continue into 2019 and that suggested growth of around 2.3 percent but when the LNG final investment decision came in from LNG Canada we we sort of re looked at our numbers and the impact that that massive 40 billion dollar investment will have and we notched our growth up for 2019 to two and a half percent so that's a pretty good growth number. Well down from what we saw in recent years, or what we have seen in recent years, but in the Canadian and North American context, that's a pretty good performance.
0: Yeah, well down from recent years, but we're actually doing quite well relative to other provinces across Canada. And I think it, you can point to Alberta as having a lot of growth, but they also are coming back from a bit of a hole that they've been in
1: ever since the economic shock. Yeah, absolutely, they are they are coming out of a hole, so they are getting a uh, a bit of a rebound effect from a couple of years of a fa- fairly deep recession. So uh, that's true, Alberta probably will grow a little bit quicker than than British Columbia, but BC will be right at the top of the growth rankings. And in fact, not that we're looking backward here, but uh, it just provides listeners some context. If you look at average growth over the past five years, BC led Canada and by a significant margin, our average growth rate was around 3.4% over that five-year period. And Ontario was the next closest, almost a full percentage point below that. So BC has done well recently.
0: The other thing that I think we should be paying attention to is with regards to the real estate situation in British Columbia. It is slowing down. Meanwhile, Bank of Canada is also raising interest rates uh, or key rate. Uh, We had that happen uh, the same week that the outlook came out tell us a little bit about what we should expect out of one of the biggest factors in the BC economy moving forward now
1: yeah I think I think this is really really the story there's lots of other things going on there's trade disputes there's NAFTA renegotiations there's you know geopolitical tensions there's the Donald Trump factor uh, but but it's really an interest rate story Tyler uh, and, and particularly we're looking at it closely here in British Columbia just because there's a lot of borrowers who are highly leveraged real estate is very expensive of here, real estate has underpinned and supported growth, all the transaction activity, all the stuff that is related to selling homes and, and building new homes. Uh, that is going to change as interest rates continue to rise here. On top of that, the provincial government has, as we all know, introduced a number of measures to dampen foreign demand. So you've got a number of factors coming together here that are going to work to really dampen the residential real estate sector here in British Columbia. And the, the rising debt load or the high debt load and the rising interest rate environment is something that, that we are concerned about and we do highlight as a risk going forward. So if you look at... Uh, we're looking at some numbers from other banks and the people have calculated and if you look at mortgage interest rates 5 year mortgage interest rates if they were in existence in 2017 about half of all those in the Canadian economy will roll over by the end of 2019 so these mortgages are going to be reset at a higher interest rate than they currently than they were before that's that's something we're going to be watching closely
0: so then what does that mean for say consumer buying power in a province like this? Is that going to take a hit moving forward?
1: It would seem like it, absolutely. And in fact, if you look at consumer buying power already, retail sales one of sort of the leading indicator or one of the best sort of pulses on what consumers are thinking and feeling are, are down sharply not the actual level but the growth rate in retail sales we were running at uh, increases of 10 percent year over year very healthy very vibrant retail sales uh, activity in bc and now it's tumbled down to just one percent year over year Pullback in automobile sales is a factor there. It's a a, a big piece of the story. But uh, most segments of retail, the growth in spending is slower than it was a year ago.
0: So one of the things that people point to with regards to the BC economy versus other jurisdictions is that we're maybe more diversified. But are we still a little bit too tied to the real estate industry here in this province where it could create a lot of vulnerabilities that aren't being faced in other jurisdictions across Canada?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely a fair point. We, in In our outlook that we wrote up, there's this theme and expectation that nationally you're going to see uh, the growth engines and the growth drivers rotate away from sectors that have benefited and been boosted by low interest rates. Housing being the obvious obvious one, but also consumer spending um, away from that towards more business investment and a little bit of export-led growth. We think in BC, you're going to see that even kind of a supercharged rotation, maybe not supercharged, that might be overstating, but more of a factor, more of a a rotation away than you do at the national level. And we say that because we have been more dependent on real estate than the rest of Canada as a growth driver. And then we have um, a, a huge investment decision with LNG, but there's other projects too. There's Site C. Uh, there's probably going to be a Trans Mountain pipeline built at some point, at least the federal government has promised there will be. And then we do have elevated levels of non-residential building permits going on here in BC. So that theme about rotating away from consumption that was fueled by low interest rates, I think will be even more pronounced here in British Columbia.
0: Okay. Well, the other thing that I think would be of interest, though, is just uh, this past quarter, we we did have the announcement of the US-Mexico-Canada agreement, giving a little bit more trade certainty. but. I don't know. We also have midterm elections coming up in the United States. Who really knows what the future spells for trade between Canada, United States, and Mexico going forward? But is it better that we have the USMCA as opposed to just kind of this nether region that we've been
1: experiencing for the past year plus? Sure, absolutely. Any More certainty is always better, uh, particularly for investment, the large capital investment decisions. So yes, the the agreements for uh, finalizing the agreement although it's yet yet to be completely finalized um is is a plus the one downside or a few downsides one thing that we would note though is the the renewed trade agreement has a sunset clause in it so it disappears after 16 years unless all the parties agree to to continue it or it can be revisited after six years and perhaps it could be extended there but that creates an element of uncertainty and you do have to ask yourself if you're a company looking at deploying billions or you know millions and millions of dollars making a big capital investment decision does that cause you some nervousness the fact that we might not have myself tend to be more optimistic on those things. And I think there will be some renewing of that agreement in the future. But if I was deploying huge amounts of capital, it might cause me pause to something to think about. The other thing, and I
0: may have missed this, but I'm just wondering if there's any insights in the outlook with regards to the cannabis industry. Of course, we had legalization, but I also wonder, is this really going to be this big, huge economic boon that maybe a lot of people seem to think it will be i'm a little skeptical on this and i'm just wondering if maybe we're just transferring one
1: i guess uh
0: darker part of the economy into more of kind of the above board side of the economy.
1: Right. That's a great, that's a great question. We, uh, we didn't talk about it explicitly in our out, outlook. It's, it's an, it's an interesting what's going on here. I, first of all, I don't know much about equity evaluations or anything like that, but one does have to look in from the outside and think some of these valuations in the equity markets are, are a little crazy. Thank
0: you. I, <laughs> I, I, I totally agree.
1: <laughs> yes. And the, we've seen some pullback in, in prices recently. I, I think that's reflecting that, but having said that, This is a new industry, and in some of the presentations I give, I I talk about it. uh, BC having two new industries that will be significant, and LNG is the obvious one, but I would say the cannabis one's new in the sense that, as you just alluded to a moment moment ago, it's going to come above board. So Statistics Canada will now be counting the output and the activity associated with marijuana production right across the country. That was, wasn't the case before. It was all underground. It was hidden. Yes, right. people were earning incomes. Yes, people made a living in it. But the fact that it's going to come above board is also going to provide a little bit of a boost to growth. It's going to be very interesting to see how much. Uh, but I think, you know, from some of the reading I've done on it, uh, there's some expertise here in Canada, in BC in particular. Uh, we may have first mover advantage. Yeah. There may be some export sectors here. So I think that's part of the reason that you see the high valuations is it's just not clear how this is going to play out when you start thinking about export markets, if some of the Canadian companies are going to be able to grow and take advantage of being one of the first uh, jurisdictions in the world to legalize it right across the country.
0: Uh, before we wrap up, can anything, I didn't ask you about it, just anything that you think is worth noting here with regards to any British Columbian who's curious about where the economy is headed in the next year?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, this is an interesting time, Tyler. It's uh, We've got some feedback from our members uh, on our outlook, and we do talk to our members regularly. And there's no doubt there's uh, uh, some concern out there amongst our membership, I would say, just about the direction of the economy, some of the policy considerations. At the same time, there's also a great deal of momentum in the economy. You know, it's been very healthy. It's been stronger than we've anticipated for some time. So we're at this kind of crossroads, not really clear where we're headed. Higher interest rates are certainly going to dampen uh, growth going forward in Canada and British Columbia. But here in BC, the and Canada as well, The uh, just the sense, well, not the sense, but the reality that we're bumping up against capacity constraints. You know, the economy is running at, at essentially full out in British Columbia. We can't squeeze much more of growth. That's leading to skill shortages, hiring challenges, and we are starting to see signs of some upward pressure in wages. So I think that skill shortages theme is also going to emerge as something that's going to be a more and more of a challenge for employers. Particularly in some of the construction sector, when some of the, these big projects get ramped up, it's going to be tough finding enough workers to get these projects done.
0: Well, I think kind of what we been hearing, though, is we should expect a lot of these, you know, uh, not that there'd be temporary foreign workers, you know, that, that's kind of uh, something that uh, uh, it, it kind of went out uh, a little bit, but uh, just – bringing in skilled workers from overseas to make sure that a lot of these projects, we just don't have the capacity here in British Columbia or or Canada overall to bring in all these people and uh, construct all these huge infrastructure projects.
1: Yeah, I think think absolutely. We we will have to look to foreign markets to get some of these projects done, build people in, bring people in to be able to to build them. It's also going to be interesting to watch what happens with Alberta. You talked about Alberta in sort of a recovery mode. I think I may have mentioned it here in the program in the past. I find it interesting that we're not seeing people migrate to British Columbia, given how strong our economy has been with Alberta being relatively comparatively more weak. We're just not seeing people... move to the West Coast like they did in previous cycles or previous circumstances where BC was kind of outperforming the rest of Canada. So this internal migration, for some reason, has slowed down within the country. And that's going to be interesting to watch as well. Any theories as to why that might be? I, my, my sense is, uh, first, foremost, I would point to housing prices okay. in, in the lower mainland. Yeah. The sticker shock, people say well, I, I have a reasonably nice house in Al- calgary or something i can't get anything remotely similar in the vancouver marketplace or even the lower mainland marketplace uh, depending on what kind of product you're looking for and then i also think uh, the fact that labor markets are in reasonably good shape right across the country unemployment yeah. rate's low in ontario it's it's falling in alberta again so people are saying to themselves you know, i can probably secure a reasonably good job in my own place where I currently reside and do not have to move to the West Coast or move to to British Columbia, like I may have considered 10 or 15 years ago. I think the combination of those two things would explain a lot of it. But how concerned are you that
0: there could be an unexpected economic shock, you know, not just in Canada, but maybe globally? I, I mean, we're just looking at, say, growth in the U.S. that has been going on for a decade now, it's going to have to slow down at a certain point. It's just a cyclical thing. Is this a concern for the business council right now?
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, it's it's interesting. I agree with you. This this expansion is long in the tooth. Uh, it's not going to end just because uh, it's old. Uh, expansions don't die of old age. But you start to think about rising interest rates. Uh, that is. Usually, what ends up dampening uh, dampening an economic expansion and perhaps tipping an economy into recession. I think here in BC, though, you know, if you look at the history of recessions in North America, if we do slip into recession in BC, they tend to be more mild, mm. and in some cases, uh, we do- we dodge them entirely. I'd say the two thousand and one downturn, for the most part, uh, there was a recession in in. In, in most other jurisdictions in North America, the Canadian economy, the U.S. economy. But we, for the most part, kind of largely skipped it here in B.C. And I get the sense if there is a downturn again, as long as it's not pro, too protracted and too deep, we will kind of dodge it here in British Columbia. we got the large projects. We've right. got the Asia influence. And this, this Asia influence, uh, this exposure to Asia is something that shows up in other Parts or other jurisdictions in North America our counterparts across the border. If you look to Washington State, was, uh, that five-year average growth rate that I was talking about, we led Canada. While Washington State, same story. If you look at average growth over the five years, Washington State led all U.S. states. So there's something going on here. Uh, immigration is supporting exposure to Asia, uh, technology sector, real estate doing well. All those factors have uh, contributed to strong growth kind of on the North American West Coast.
0: Well, excellent. Uh, We like hearing those good news stories. So, uh, Ken, thank you. Always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much, Tyler. That's Ken Peacock, Chief Economist and Executive Vice President in the Business Council of British Columbia. Stay with us. Retail Insiders Craig Patterson joins us next. From DCM to Lululemon, joining us today to talk about all the latest news in retail, it is Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. Craig, great to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me. So Canadian beauty supply company, DCM, it's been going through a bit of a topsy-turvy time. And then last week, we found out that founder, Brandon Truax, he's received an order barring him from contacting their investor, Estee Lauder, This comes after he was dismissed as CEO following some increasingly bizarre behavior. From your perspective here, Craig, is DCM's brand strong enough to withstand, I guess, a lot of the um, interesting stuff that's been going on with, say, the company's social media, with uh, its founder, Brandon Truax? Is it a strong enough brand to withstand all this?
2: I think it is. Um, And actually, what I've is interesting is I think that some consumers are actually upset that Brandon has been, uh, I don't know if overthrown is the uh, proper word. And by the way, I should point out, uh, Def does have three stores in the Vancouver area, which uh, definitely makes this quite relevant in terms of it was the second market in Canada to see stores. But uh, right. you know back back to uh, you know Brandon Truax, You know, I've been watching, uh, you know, the Instagram feed for the company, and there have been people lamenting his loss. And honestly, I find that a bit surprising. I think that uh, he was being obnoxious. I did follow this quite closely, and uh, you know, his conduct was extremely uh, unbecoming of uh, the head of a company, especially one that's uh, doing over three hundred million dollars a year in sales. I think overall, it's a good thing that he's been ousted right now. But um, but I also know he's a creative genius that. you know, it was loved by a uh, percentage of the population. Uh, so if anything, actually, I mean, it's better for the brand. He's not there, but I don't know. We'll see how this plays out.
0: It's just a fascinating thing to watch, you know, almost kind of like a like a train wreck in slow motion to a certain degree. But I, I also couldn't help but feel like, are, are, are we... Witnessing somebody with a high profile, like having—I—I I, I don't want to assume anything. I—I I, I don't know the man, but like some sort of like mental health issues, like in real time, like it was just increasingly bizarre behavior that was out there for public consumption.
2: I don't think there's really a doubt that there were uh, mental health issues. Whether or not addiction was involved, I have no idea. I mean, that's all speculation. But nevertheless, you know, I. Worked, I worked in the area of mental health in the past myself and to me it was fairly clear that uh, you know this is someone who's had a company that has you know exploded in growth uh, you know uh, gone from almost you know zero sales to 300 million within a couple of years that's that's incredible and uh, you know I think that he probably had some pre-existing issues that uh, you know have come up come about and that's really unfortunate I think that you know mental health is something that uh, we should all look at and you know I hope that people will be open to uh, you know, help if if they need it. And quite often, unfortunately, that's not the case. And in fact, some people with mental health issues you know, are very adamant not to receive help. And that makes it quite frustrating for everyone, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, well, it, we're speaking about uh, notable high-profile founders uh, here in Vancouver. Of course, the, the most notable one of all at this point, I think would have to be Lululemon's Chip Wilson. He says he wants to get back in the boardroom. I, I'm I'm wondering from your perspective, do, does Lululemon even need a Chip Wilson in its boardroom at this point?
2: That's a good question. I mean, Chip Wilson, he's a creative genius. I mean, I don't think there's really any question there. I think most people would figure that, you know, he's done some pretty amazing things. Uh, but, you know, Sears does have, uh, you know, uh, Calvin McDonald, formerly of Sephora and formerly of Sears Canada, uh, you know, running uh, the helm. I think he's a, he's a terrific leader uh, and is also on brand. You know, he's a guy that he himself, you know, is an athlete and, you uh, you know, participates in various activities that, uh, you know, Lululemon would embrace. So nevertheless, going back to Chip Wilson, though, um, I don't know. I think that he said a lot of negative things about the company. Uh, I know that there's been an adversarial relationship there. And I would question what the future of that might hold, just given, you know, there have been some strained relations in the past. And, you know, he's got his ideas and sometimes the company isn't, uh, you know, going along the same pathway, I think, that Chip Wilson would like.
0: Well, and it seems as if Lululemon—they're actually doing quite well right now. So I'm just wondering, what's the incentive for investors to put them back in the public boardroom?
2: Um, again, having that uh, you know extra brain in there that yeah. you know not only found, founded the company but has that uh, uh, you know knowledge background persona, you know, whatever other skills that he would bring to the position. Uh, you know, I think part of it is just kind of like you know, so a parent losing a child and wanting to come back into their life. I think that. You know, that is sort of part of what we're seeing here. I think that, you know, Chip Wilson, Lou Lemon was his baby. And it probably hurts to, to leave. I mean, if I was forced out of my company or left, you know, on my own accord and watched it, uh, you know, continue on and do quite well, you know, I don't know. I might want to be part of it again as well. So certainly uh, I, I think part of it does come down to personality.
0: Do you think maybe Mr. Wilson is looking for something to do? I mean, we do know that the Wilson family is uh, divesting themselves of kitten ace. I'm just wondering how important it is for somebody like him to keep busy. I-, I think he needs to keep busy.
2: I know that he's buying up real estate in the city. He's bought up quite a bit recently in the uh, um, what do you, the False Creek Flats. That's the term I was looking for. So there was a, a story in it right now, and I I think it was the, either the New York Times or Forbes where uh, he was quoted as saying, anytime he leaves Vancouver temporarily and comes back, there's this, always this message in his head that says, "Buy Chip Land, buy Chip," or sorry, "Buy Land, Chip, Buy sure, Land." Sorry sure. about that. And <laughs> and I'm stumbling over my words today, uh, but you know he sees the value in Vancouver as a city and, and as an investment. And even though you know real estate prices in Vancouver have exploded, uh, you know land prices are incredible. I mean, they're, they've ex- they've grown, i say, faster than actually, you know, individual residential real estate prices. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think for him doing that, it's smart. I mean, a lot of people have made a lot of money in real estate over the years. And uh, I suspect, you know, I think it's hold it all Inc. Uh, whatever the company is called. Well, you know it's probably already a billion dollar business given that you know he's worth over 3 billion and it's a third of his fortune and probably be a lot more i don't see Vancouver real estate prices actually going down uh, uh, anytime soon because it is hard to make more land and uh, you know Vancouver is one of the most desirable cities in the world for a few different reasons
0: yeah uh, the other thing that I think we should talk about here, though, is, you know, speaking of Vancouver and maybe the luxury side of retail. I understand that we do have uh, another store opening up on Georgia Street. Tell us a little bit about what's going on and how it plays into, I guess, the ongoing narrative about luxury retail here in the city.
2: Yes, I mean, speaking to the whole desirability of Vancouver, you know, I mentioned again Chip Wilson saying that the city, you know, was highly desirable. Well, that's shared by a lot of people, and that includes, uh, you know, a lot of wealthy uh, tourists, and those, some people actually become locals. They've purchased homes in Vancouver, whether or not they're being, you know, hit by vacant tax, if they're not there full-time is a question. But what we're seeing now on West Georgia Street is the creation, or I should say maybe the expansion of the city's luxury zone. Um, I might start dubbing it something along the lines of Golden Quarter, we'll see, but basically it's the area around Burrard Street, Thurlow Street, Alberni Street, uh, we're saying north of Robson Street, and now West Georgia Street. So uh, what Burks is doing uh, next uh, month, I believe towards the end of November, uh, and the whole construction hoarding is up, it's not a secret now, uh, they're going to be opening uh, so two boutiques. One will be uh, Graff Diamonds, a very, very, very high-end uh, London, UK-based brand. Uh, with some pieces over a million dollars each. I looked at a $900,000 necklace last week because they did a presentation in Toronto. Uh, and uh, as well, Patek Philippe, which is a very, very shocking move. I mean, there aren't many cities in the world that have standalone Patek Philippe boutiques. So, uh, you know, Vancouver, I think, will be seen as, uh, you know, certainly being uh, on the global uh, radar in terms of shopping. Uh, On Alberni Street itself, Oliver Peoples is about to open. Uh, uh, Hermes is under construction on Georgia, which I think is going to help. And going back to Georgia Street, uh, Chopard uh, opened a boutique there last year. Gucci is going to be renovating. Uh, Dior has a beautiful store. So really, we're seeing, you know, West Georgia Street, at least the south side of the street. Uh, No, I shouldn't say that because of the 900 block. uh, Chopard is on the north side. But you know it's becoming a prime street so uh, it's very good news for vancouver and we can talk about it now it's been revealed uh, drake is going to be opening a store on robson street i alluded to that a few weeks ago
0: mm. uh, so what kind of uh, store would we expect from drake what kind of uh, merchandise
2: so it's October's very own i'll say that again October's very own which is we're still okay. in october so that's uh, that works i think and, yeah. <laughs> um it's a it's a kind of a i guess it's a Streetwear line. It's not, you know, super expensive, but it's not cheap either. And that uh, was around the world, New York, London. Uh, he's got two in Toronto. We'll be opening a third one at the Square One Mall in Mississauga. So there will be, I guess that makes it four in Canada with Vancouver. I suspect there will be more. Uh, you know, Vancouver is on the radar of, you know, almost every retailer you can imagine. And uh, You know, the OVO you know, I think correctly chose Vancouver for for its store. And uh, we'll be seeing more uh, brands coming into Vancouver. Things aren't done. Uh, Mont Blanc is going to be opening a a replacement location on Alberni Street, as is Vacheron Constantine, which is uh, one of uh, Richemont's big brands. So, you know, it's really filling in nicely, I'd say, in the luxury zone in terms of stores. But a lot of them are dedicated to jewelry and watches. So, You know, I think that says something there. And if you look at Holt Renfrew as well, uh, the ground floor where all the luxury stores are, you know, a lot of those are jewelry, accessories and bags. And, you know, the accessory department is selling well over $100 million a year worth of uh, product at Holt Renfrew in Vancouver. So, you know, it says something about, you know, bags and uh, jewelry.
0: Well, this luxury zone uh, certainly out of my price range, but I I want to know from your perspective, like who do you think that the target audience is with regards to this luxury zone? I can't help but notice that these stores they are centered around some of the most upscale like hotels in Vancouver. Is it targeted towards tourists? Is it targeted towards locals? What's your take on who the the main consumers are going to the luxury zone here in the city?
2: Yeah, it's kind of a mixture, I would say. Um, You know, people with money, there are wealthy tourists coming into Vancouver, you know, hence the Fairmont uh, Hotel Vancouver is nearby, the Shangri-La, the Trump Tower, uh, you know, uh, Stefano Ricci, which is a super expensive menswear brand, gorgeous stuff, has a store next to the Trump Tower on West Georgia Street. But really, I mean, I talked to uh, the head of research at Savile in uh, London, UK, and uh, what they do when they look at, luxury markets in terms of evaluating them is the only thing they're really evaluating right now is where are Asian shoppers uh, going and you know I think at this point it's pretty clear you know in Toronto for example I was told even at the Saint Laurent boutique that 90% of the customers are uh, you know I guess you'd say of an Asian background and in Vancouver it's about the same I mean that uh, is probably pretty clear to anyone who works in the industry uh, you know segment of the population that's very uh, brand focused and, you know, which I think is quite fascinating and it's really, really good for retail. So, in other words, retailers need to, you know, up their game, consider language, consider, you know, product and sizing and, uh, you know, consider accepting, you know, Alipay as an example, you know, any payment systems being used, say, in a place like China uh, or Singapore, you know, as with the movie Crazy Rich Asians, you know, you got <laughs> to, you know, attract and uh, attract, retain and, you know, uh, offer that which the consumer wants.
0: Uh, lastly, why don't we talk about legalization of cannabis here? I mean, this is very much a retail story. And in British Columbia, there's literally just one government retail outlets. Uh, we don't have any private outlets open yet, but it's one government outlet open in like the BC interior and in Kamloops. What do you make of the rollouts? Maybe not just, you know, for British Columbia, but, but Canada wide with regards to the impacts it'll have on the brick and mortar retail scene across the country.
2: Oh, I mean, it's going to come about eventually, but it's been quite a, uh, (laughs) it's been terrible for most provinces. Alberta seems to have been the only province that really got things on a roll uh, in terms of opening a lot of stores quickly. Ontario has been a complete disaster. Uh, British Columbia isn't that far behind. Uh, I I think this legalization thing has been, you know, a little catastrophic right now. Uh, I know that uh, it was probably easier to get cannabis, even though it was illegal before uh, the legalization. And now, you know, it's almost impossible. And Uh, You know, in Quebec, like, oh, my God, they have to close the stores. I think it's Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesdays each week right now. They do not have enough stock. So, uh, (laughs) like, Canada has basically run out of cannabis with the legalization. I didn't anticipate it to be this, uh, you know, busy or significant. Uh, I always figured that, you know, things wouldn't really change in the country, and perhaps they won't for the most part. But, Uh, Certainly, you know, there's a real demand now for cannabis. And, you know, if if governments, you know, legitimate suppliers can't, uh, you know, facilitate this, I think the illegal market is going to continue to thrive. And perhaps it should. I mean, I don't want to encourage anything illegal. Uh, You know, it seems like, you know, the illicit dealers were pretty good at what they were doing. And the government really hasn't done a very good job in the area of retail. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how this ends up going in the coming months. I. We've heard from other experts that you're probably going to have to wait about three years until we can really get supply at the levels that the demand would call for at this point. So I think that it's going to be at least three years, and it seems credible, three years of maybe just the persistence of the black market here in this country, especially here in British Columbia.
2: I think so. I mean, British Columbia has had a, uh, you know, thriving cannabis industry for decades. And uh, I think they said the industry was worth well over a billion dollars a year. And uh, that was a few years ago I heard that. So it is actually a contributor to British or it was slash is, I guess, contributor to British Columbia's economy. And, uh, you know, having that switched up, I mean, it's, it's not the best thing, I guess, for, you know, small businesses that were that were, you know, selling cannabis Uh, at the same time we have to also recognize uh, you know the illicit business may have attracted uh, you know gangs and violence and I think that that is an issue I also think that that's what legalization is trying to address Uh, you know Vancouver's had uh, you know tremendous gang problems for a long time and and quite often it's related to drugs however uh, I don't think cannabis has been the primary drug that's caused the most problems I think it's certainly fentanyl which uh, you know has caused Uh, uh, catastrophic deaths hundreds of them a year in the city which is which is just terrible uh you know not to mention say crack cocaine heroin and other drugs which you know are also elite uh, well addictive uh you know i think that that you know those drugs are more serious but nevertheless you know uh, a good cannabis dealer preserving their turf could still be quite violent
0: yeah we're gonna be (laughs) having an interesting time watching this unfold over the next little while but for now craig i want to thank you for joining us on the show Thank you for having me. That's Craig Patterson, Editor-in-Chief at RetailInsider.com. And that's it for BIV today. Thank you for listening. You can find our archives on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also go and find our online news stories at BIV.com. We'll be back next time.